from the long line waiting to see Popeye 2, it's the IGN Digiguys. Now, please welcome, won't you, two Pirates of the Caribbean, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, shouting it out, Pirates of the Caribbean. Arr, Nicholas Gordon. Thank you, Nicholas. I was actually on Pirates of the Caribbean uh, about a week and a half ago. The ride itself, which stinks now because they've all Johnny Depped it up. Didn't you just go to Disneyland like six months ago or something? No, a year ago. Exactly a year ago. Precisely one year ago. Is there is, so? There's it's somebody's birthday. Well, no, it's, it's when family's in town. Got it. When you know the uh, the uh, the kids, you know. They like that Disney thing. Well, why not? Actually, California Adventure, you know, they're, they're doing a whole new thing at California Adventure. They're remodeling it completely. Uh, are doing, they really? Yeah. They're doing a whole, uh, like, 1920s-style revival. They're going to take down that Golden Gate Bridge thing. They're going to do it all up like the way that Los Angeles was when Walt first started working in Los Angeles. That sounds like a, that sounds like a boondoggle that I, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's great. First of all, I've never been to California Adventure. You, oh, my gosh. You're missing some of the best rides in the world. No, I'm not. You are. Like I'm serious. What? Like what? Like California Screaming. What is that? It is a roller coaster. I don't roller like roller co- coasters. Oh, I don't. that's right. That's right. You're, 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 I, Mr., I, you're Mr. Vomit. I get nauseous. <laughs> is there anything else to do except roller coasters, or is that it? Uh, well, let's see. There's California Screaming, which is awesome because it's got a loop in it like the Revolution at Magic Mountain, except you, you literally, it does not go off to s- slow. It, it, you start at 65 miles an hour in this roller coaster. It just kicks you right off. It's like a rocket. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, then there's also the uh, Twilight Zone Hotel of Terror. Ooh, doo-doo-doo-doo. Yeah, where basically it just kind of like drops you and then pulls you up and then drops you oh, again. And it's, I don't like that. Yeah. And then there's no, a, but the idea of a Twilight Zone Hotel, that sounds like fun. It is, actually. Actually, waiting to get into it is kind of cool because uh, you're going through the hotel and everything's all creepy. And then um, California Soren, or just Soren. I think it's called Soren, but it's great. California Sauron, the guy from no, Lord of the Rings. No, it's Soren is great. It's a, it you you sit down in basically it's it's like they have these uh, stadium seating things, but they're on they're on cables, so it lifts you up, and then you're watching this huge kind of IMAXy screen of just aerial photography, but it moves you so that you feel like you're actually soaring over these locales in California. It's really cool. Did I tell you about the time that I, that I went you don't on the— You don't care. I, no, I don't. Did I tell you about the time I went on the Back to the Future ride in Las Vegas? No. Have you been on that? No. The Back to the Future—and this has nothing to do with DVDs. Yeah. But uh, the Back to the Future ride in Las Vegas, it's one of those uh, cars, and the car yes. seats like 15 people, it's, and it's, it's on like hydro— star, It's like Star Tours. It's like Star Tours. It's on hydraulics. Sure. There's a screen in front of you. Yeah. So all my friends are going on it, and they want yeah. me to go on this ride. And I don't want to go on the ride because I know it'll make me nauseous because I know it makes me nauseous. Sitting on a train facing the other direction than the train is moving mm. makes me nauseous. Wow. My driving makes myself nauseous sometimes. <laughs> so I don't want to go on this ride. But it's <laughs> Vegas, and it's a bunch of guys, and they're all making me feel like I'm, like I'm a big dork because I won't, won't. So I said, you know what? Maybe I've changed. Maybe I can handle something like Back to the Future. I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on this ride. And you know what? Within literally two seconds, I had my hand over my eyes, and I desperately wanted to leave because I was going to throw up. And so I'm sorry. And so when the ride ended, I literally was just walking around in circles. I had to be escorted by two people <laughs> into a cab. And I wound up with a driver who kept running all these red lights because he wanted to I guess, get to the next fair. So the driver was making me nauseous, and I was out until the next morning. Oh, that is the greatest story ever. Why have, you never, why have you never told me that before? You didn't know that? I didn't know that. I, that was the Back to the Future I, ride. I, I would have loved to have filmed that. Oh, oh, no, no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> filmed in vomit cam. <laughs> well, we want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Kyle Stevens, who is a proud dad today or as of a couple of days ago. And uh, he sent us a, a picture of his, his new son. Yeah, supposed to be old son. No, it's uh, and we're flattered. We're really flattered. So no, he sent a picture of the, of his son with sunglasses on. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> we dug it. So, bravo! Congratulations! Well done! Congratulations! And uh, by the way, by by the time Kyle's son grows up, yeah, what do you think he'll be watching on home home? What will his home theater experience be? This baby sucker punch. <laughs> 
Sucker Punch in 4D. Which, of course, I'm referencing my, uh, I'm doing a little Digigod's tie-in, my little tirade. If you haven't seen it, go check out uh, YouTube or, uh, or uh, stupidformovies.com. My, my tirade, we almost got it to go viral. My hatred for Sucker Punch. By the way, as, um, as long as we're still on the topic, not of Sucker Punch, but of uh, Kyle Stevens. Kyle Stevens also did write us a, a very interesting email that I wanted to get, as, uh, get into as well. Where he said, why do studios continue to make bad, campy, constantly winking at the camera comic book movies? Having seen the trailer for Thor and the Green Lantern, it looks to me like this summer will be another with, uh, uh, will be another with Watch Him Once comic movies. Why don't they take a page from Nolan and Warner Brothers and try to make their film as grounded in reality as possible? I realize that with some of the subject matter, that can be difficult to say the least. Uh, but directors and screenwriters should be able to constant, uh, compensate with a strong narrative, character building, and storytelling. <laughs> uh, yes, those were the days. I just can't justify spending $45 a pop anymore for these crap movies. Special effects can only carry this genre so far. I, for one, am hoping this summer batch of regurgitated films is our last. Unfortunately, it probably won't be. But he says the public needs to demand better and not let these movies make $100 million opening weekend anymore. That just encourages the studios. As always, you're humble and loyal fan. Thanks, Kyle. It's a great point. It's one that we keep hammering over and over and over. And, uh, you know, at some point, it's got to be a law of diminishing returns. People are going to get sick of it. You know what I was, uh, I was thinking uh, earlier today? The real reason why yeah. we have what we have mm-hmm. is not because of consolidation. Media, consol- uh, media consolidation. Yeah. It's not because of uh, the DVD, whatever. Yeah. It's the rise of the multiplex. You know, it used to be that a theater was one theater. Yes. It was a, a thousand people. Yeah. You know, and that was it. Now you go to a theater and there's 12 movies, yeah. 12 uh, auditoriums, and they all have to show something. Yes. And they're not going to show 12 different movies. It is kind of, it, it, that has, a, I don't know if it's, it's the main culprit, but it's part of the problem, which is that it used to be that people would look in the paper and read the reviews and then they decide what movie they wanted to go see and then they would go to that one screen showing that one movie. Uh, unlike certain, but then there's places like Westwood and Hollywood, which were sort of like multiplexes on a square mile basis. But you went to the theater that was showing the movie you wanted to see. Now people don't even make that decision until they get there. Well, let's just go down to the, you know, Vatatska and let's see what's playing. And then they make their decision once they get there. And I think that's bad because that encourages studios to. Well, let's just throw a bunch of stuff out. Some, you know, if if one thing's sold out, they'll go see the other thing. So we'll at least get some spillover. Well, also, if let's say uh, you have a, like a threeplex or a fourplex, yeah. Let's say mm-hmm. Sucker Punch is sold out, right? And Win Win happens to be starting t- in sure. ten minutes. You may go see Win Win because you're at the theater. Sure. Nowadays, if Sucker Punch isn't, if if, if you just miss Sucker Punch or it's sold right. out in ten minutes, another auditorium will be showing Sucker Punch. And if that one's sold out, there'll true. be another one showing Sucker Punch. Yep. So they want you – they want to just flood these 10, 12-screen multiplexes with the same big-ticket movie. Dreadful. Well, we let's get into some DVDs. Uh, oh, we, DVDs. Yeah, that's that's what, we, what we do That's here. what we do. Uh, got, a, got a trio of anime things from Viz. Viz is uh, one of the big anime uh, distribution companies on DVD. Vampire Night, the complete series. Now, when, whenever anime touches on the subject of vampires, it is almost always really, really cool because it kind of goes more in... It's not, it's not like what you get with television vampires these days, which is all sort of... Uh, you know, hunks and and hot chicks and ripped abs and big boobs and leather and it, it's it's too sexy. Uh, you get really interesting character stuff in the uh, the anime vampire stuff. And Vampire Night is uh, is not bad. Uh, there's 13 episodes here. I did not get through even a fraction of them, but what I saw, I really liked. Uh, animation's good. Story seems to be pretty good, and uh, the the drama is quite compelling. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's a little kind of blade-ish, but uh, it looked pretty cool. And then we've got uh, Naruto Shippuden. This is uh, DVD set 5. This is episodes 56 through 65, original and uncut. Look, honestly, Naruto Shippuden is just one of, the, one of those legendary anime series. I, I, I can't possibly spend any time explaining what this is all about. If the name just makes you hot and bothered, then you are into it. I, for the, on the other hand, am not. I don't get it. I'm totally lost when I look at these things, and I think it's because I've... 
You're you know, basically just lost. You're just lost. If you if you're you miss lost. if you miss like you one, are lost. Yeah, this, not people. The whole Naruto Shippuden thing. If you miss one episode, you just don't know what's going on. It's like Twin Peaks that way. I I don't get it. And then uh, five hours of Pokemon on five discs with Pokemon Elements Collection Two. Damn right. I, you know what? If you, if you need for us to explain this to you as well, then then you have been living on Mars. Um, I, Pokemon. You know what? They come up with some weird ass, creepy little creatures. I this can't show that's does. still around. I know people still. It's not the phenomenon that it was uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago. You remember when the Pokemon movie was like a phenomenon? That thing opened with some huge amount of money. Do you remember? That was the, ridiculous. How about the Mario Brothers? Do you remember the Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins oh, and gosh, John Leguizamo? That was the worst. <laughs> it was so dreadful. That's the best. Unbelievable. So anyway, so there's there's a trio of uh, Viz titles for you. Um, obviously, Pokemon skews a lot younger, and uh, Naruto Shippuden skews a lot older. But out of these three, I gotta say, if you haven't heard of it, Vampire Night, check it out. Uh, complete series here, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly gonna watch the rest of it because this one I can understand because it's a complete series. It's not like it's been dumbed down for you, basically. Yeah, it's not like Naruto Shippuden, where it's just this, this vast, ongoing, epic saga that I, I can't wrap myself around. But anyway, now uh, we'll let's do some movies, Wade. Let's do some movies, and then later on we'll. Talk Talk about a package that Wade received in the mail. Oh my gosh, hysterical! Truly, what the marketing departments are doing—it's unbelievable. That is true. Absolutely. All right, uh, Legally Blonde Two is on Blu-ray. I know. I like Legally Blonde. I love Legally Blonde. You know, they turned it into a Broadway musical. Uh, you know, don't I know. Me, I know. I know. Look, Legally know. Blonde, uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Billy Elliot, Ooh, just stop it already! Driving Miss Daisy, the musical. Yes, no, there's a Driving Miss Daisy Broadway show. That's insane. I'm telling you, they, they, you know what? It's and Broadway, it's it's almost Broadway is doing me, what me, Hollywood does. Let me guess. Yes. Is there a song where he where he breaks out into song when he says, "I I, I needs to make water"? <laughs> Did they make, turn that into a song? Yes, and uh, the first three rows will get wet. <laughs> oh, oh, zing! Anyway, Legally Blonde to Red, White, and Blonde. Um, you know what? Honestly, this this took a good thing way too far. I love Reese Witherspoon. I love the first movie. This just completely lacked the charm that it needed to have. Uh, but if if you just kind of want to be a completist about it, there it is. It's out on Blu-ray. Cute little chihuahua, the whole deal. But the, it's not nearly the movie that the original was. Wait, I don't know how Dogtooth wound up being nominated for a uh, an Academy Award. An Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. That was a stunner, wasn't it? But uh, like, really. Dog- Really, Dogtooth is a twisted, twisted. You will see nothing like, and 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 often you will hear people say, "You've seen nothing like that. You have seen nothing like Dogtooth." Well, well, blue. You know, this has been out on DVD for a few weeks, and uh, Kino finally put it out on Blu-ray. And uh, I don't know that I really want to see this story that much sharper. And, and you know what? It's a little bit sharper, but it's it's nothing to write home about. The whole thing takes place in in, in pretty much in one house, in one you know property. With one very twisted family. Yes, and the whole idea, if you Jeez, didn't hear the other show, is that Dogtooth is about a, a mother and father who have kept their kids in this house their entire lives and have created this surreal, weird world and, and per point of view. I mean, just the way that they view the world. It's, they've, they've, it's the just, parents have taught their kids in a certain way that, that scares it, them from leaving the house. They've yeah. taught them that house cats are vicious and will kill them. It's, it's freakish. And so Very basically disturbing. the kids are afraid to leave their house for their whole lives. These kids are now teenagers. Yeah. They're grown. Yeah. And they've been, they're afraid to leave their house because their parents have told them lies throughout their oh. entire life about what's really out there in the real world. And so it's totally twisted, and I liked it a lot. Man. But it's not something that you want to show, let's no. say, maybe your mother. Or your five-year-old. Or your five-year-old. Yeah. Kyle, don't show your uh, baby a dog tooth. <laughs> oh uh, the um, extras here are the same deleted scenes, interview with the director, uh, crazy stuff. I just heard that he's working on a sequel. The director, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, is working on a sequel to well, Dog Tooth. It, it won the, uh, the, the um, a Certain Regard Award at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Yes. So it won the the certain regard section, which is kind of like, for those who don't know, the Cannes Film Festival has a million different sections. There's the official section, which is the big competition section, usually has about something like 20, 24 films in it. And um, then you've got certain regard, which is like the other section. It's like these are the films that weren't good enough to be in the 
you know the main selection, but we'll we have a little separate a little separate competition for them. And then you got directors Fortnite, which has nothing to do with the official Cannes Film Festival. It's the French directors organization, but they've have their own little competition simultaneously. So it's kind of all part of the same deal. And then you got like three or four other sections, dozens and dozens and dozens of movies to see. I want to go back to Cannes. I want to go back to Cannes someday, don't you? Blu-ray of The Secret of Nim at long last. And yes, I do want to go back to Ken badly. <laughs> I, think I, heard what, I didn't think I heard what I said. I did. I want to go back. I know. Uh, Secret of Nim on Blu-ray is gorgeous. It really is. I have to uh, give them props over there at uh, 20th Century Fox. They, um, it's an MGM movie, but they release through 20th Century Fox. They have the same mastering facilities. And, um, you know, Fox releases a lot of crappy Blu-rays, i got to tell you. But this is, this is not bad. Not as great as it probably should be. But for a, for a kick-it-out uh, Blu-ray, it looks really, really nice. And uh, you got to see this. Secret of Nim is Don... It was the first film that Don Bluth and Gary Goldman made when they uh, went out on their own, away from Disney. And uh, it's based on a wonderful children's novel, uh, children's book. And uh, it, it's probably, I think, still Don Bluth's best film. Yeah, you know, Don I, Bluth... He, he had he, Don Bluth he had made, a moment. He had a moment, and you know, uh, Land Before Time was was a, a decent film, and American Tale annoyed me a little bit, but it's a good film. But I still think Secret of Nim is it. It the first one they 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 nailed it. Well, but uh, Land Before Time wound up with like seventy five straight to DVD oh, sequels all, that he had nothing. To he do had nothing with. to do with. Yeah. Uh, my Blu-ray pick of the week is uh, my favorite film of two thousand ten, Black Swan. This is a, a two-disc set, and Natalie Portman won an Oscar. You know, uh, you, maybe you've been hearing about this uh, controversy regarding how oh, much... Da- how much of the dancing is hers and, and was the double and all that. Can I yeah. say that? Who gives an care. S? I mean, honestly. That's not the performance. Uh, and you know what? And Darren Aronofsky, the director, uh, he actually has gone on record really actually almost quantifying the amount that was Natalie, the amount that was the double, and the amount that was face replacement. And you know what? I got to tell you, if I was silly. him, I, I would just—I I wouldn't even give the, those guys the time of day. It's, it's silly. Come they're, on, they're, they're basically black swan birthers. Yeah, that's like, what they like, are. Like they care. Who it's cares? Silly. It's It's nuts. It's silly. The uh, this is a two disc uh, set. Uh, first disc is the Blu-ray, and you know, it's a terrific transfer. But you got to understand one thing, which is that the movie was shot on uh, sixteen millimeter, and it was shot on a Canon a DSLR. So. This isn't one of those like you know Toy Story pristine transfers because 16 millimeter obviously is quite grainy, uh, but still it's a good transfer. It's just don't look at, don't expect something that is clean and pristine. It, was, it wasn't shot that way. Wasn't meant to be that way. Thank goodness you know Fox didn't you know artificially clean it up. Uh, you know we gave Matthew Labatique, the cinematographer, our best uh, you know our best cinematographer award, uh, LA Film Critics, uh, last year. He richly deserved it. Uh, so it's good stuff. So. Um, Disc one is the uh, Blu-ray, and uh, disc two is the digital copy, may I say. A couple yes. extras. They're not bad. Behind the curtain. A uh, cu- couple featurettes, making ofs, behind the curtain, and 10 years in the making, and a bunch of useless uh, cast profiles. So I love this film. It totally worked me. I love Darren Aronofsky. I think that guy, that guy just works it like no one I've ever seen. And uh, I love the film, Black Swan. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I am not a fan, but I, I will. You, you have every right to tell people go and go nuts for it. Uh, Hemingway's Garden of Eden interesting failure here uh, starring Mina Suvari who is a I gotta tell you as much as I liked her in uh, 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 American, Beauty, American Beauty 26 years ago 26, oh gosh has it been no it's been <laughs> 26 years been like 13 years ago yeah wild right man as much as I love her in that movie she, I gotta be honest with you she's not a good actress well, her career never isn't. went anywhere she just isn't I mean she really comes off as so so Actory in this movie. It's well, just anyway. Well, the thing with American Beauty is that she yeah. she didn't she didn't have to she didn't have to play a character. She had to play an ideal. Yeah. Right. Kevin Spacey's you know pedophilic you know fantasy. Yeah. Which is not necessarily the same as really crafting a great performance, which I don't think she has in her. Well, this stars this stars Mina Suvari and Jack Houston. Now, Jack Houston is a British actor. But he is yet another one of the Houston clan. He is uh, not from Danny or Angelica. He's their nephew. Um, and he's not that good either. Um, the, the, this, this whole movie is, is kind of a weird... I, I have never read the novel. I am not a fan of anything Hemingway. I'll, I'll preface this by saying that. I really don't care for his writing. And this is the kind of Hemingway story that really just gives me unbelievable gas. 
But because um, here's what it is. It's like kind of takes place uh, it's like 30s, 40s. And it's about this guy, this writer, typical kind of Hemingway projecting himself onto one of his characters, a writer who marries this woman who is cold but manipulative and seductive and the whole thing. And they go on this weird little coastal vacation where uh, all kinds of strange marriage-wrecking, seductive, menage-a-trois things start happening. I don't get it. I don't understand the point. The acting's not very good. The movie is very ambitious in the story it wants to tell, but it's just not that interesting. You just want to slap these people at a certain point. Lions get released it. It is very rightly rated R. Uh, see it only if you have kind of a Mina Suvari thing, but she's not very good in it. Wade, uh, the big controversial release of the week is Last Tango in Paris on speaking Blu-ray. Speaking of, speaking of movies about sexual things. That's right. Uh, Last Tango in Paris, 1972. This is uh, yeah. ba- based on a, uh, this, you know, this movie's based on a uh, sexual uh, I, fantasy could, from Bertolucci, yes. Could I just say one thing? What? Butter. <laughs> exactly. That's all I'm saying. Can I say one thing? Go ahead. Cue cards. Yes. Because, you know, <laughs> Brando, who plays a recently widowed yeah, yeah, uh, right uh, right. hotel owner, American mm-hmm. hotel owner in Paris, yeah. he, of course, refused to <laughs> memorize his lines. So they littered the, they littered the set with cue cards. Yeah. So that he could just look at the cue cards and read his lines. This was, this was like, the, wasn't this the first movie where he did that? <laughs> Because he started, it really wasn't the last. I'll tell you no, that it wasn't. He started doing that fa- fairly awesome. routinely uh, at, the, at a certain point, and it drove a lot of directors nuts. Oh in fact, you know, there's a scene in the movie where Brando uh, he has his long speech over the body of his wife. Yeah, and Brando like kind of lifts his eyes upward as he gives his speech. Yeah. As if he's looking to the heavens where his wife is now resting in peace. Oh, Not true. Man. He's looking at his cue cards. Yes, he is. It's yes, awesome. he is, folks. Uh, anyway, regarding uh, anyway, very controversial for the time. Uh, the um, the uh, Blu-ray transfer. This is a one eight five to one high definition widescreen uh, transfer. Looks good. Looks good. You know what? It's got it's got some film grain, but that's okay because that's Bertolucci and that's nineteen seventy two. And yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's this is this is an, again part of the uh, the MGM uh, Fox thing, and I'm going to talk about another one here in a second. And they're they're they seem to have kind of upped it a notch. Because I know a lot of people were complaining about their releases, and they've, there's a number of these classic films this week: Secret of Nim and and that, and then this next one that I'm talking about. And a yeah, but there's others. no extras on on Last Tango. I know, Tango. I know, there aren't. Lame. Uh, well, the, you know, like the next one here I'm going to talk about is Rain Man. It's kind of the same deal. Uh, Rain Man has a few extras on it, but it's stuff that you know you already know. Commentary with Barry Levinson and commentary with uh, Barry Morrow, the writer, one of the writers, um, and another audio commentary with. Um, uh, uh, Ron, Green? Ron Bass. It's, uh, you know, Barry Morrow wrote the novel and Ron Bass wrote the screenplay. It's, it, you know, uh, Rain Man, same thing. It's a decent transfer. It's better than the average MGM 20th Century Fox thing that we were accustomed to from about six, seven, eight months ago, a year ago. Um, so I, I'm going to recommend this. I would, if this were still the way that Fox were transferring things about a year ago, I would probably not. But I think they've improved enough to where uh, you got to you got to upgrade the Blu-ray for Rain Man. Come on, it's Rain Man. Best picture. Best picture. Tom Cruise's best performance. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Because it is. It's it, no, it's a it's really true. good. Per- I I didn't think but it at Hoffman the time. Won but the, uh, Hoffman was the guy who went get all the accolades. Yeah, for but it's but you know, Tom it's, Cruise's it's, movie. Well, that's the thing. You know, what people, you know, sometimes forget is that. The Hoffman character doesn't really have an arc. No. He's just a bunch of ticks. The Cruise character, he's got the arc. Yes. He's the one who's got to change over the course of the film. And I felt like Tom Cruise didn't get a whole lot of credit for that, whereas Dustin Hoffman just did a great job with the ticks he had to yes. he had to do. Very true. Now, um, Moonstruck, Moonstruck, which is which is the uh, the other big one from uh, MGM and Fox. Um, uh, this is this is a little tougher on the transfer, I think, just because I like of the this way transfer. it's 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 good. It, but the the way the movie's shot, it, Moonstruck is not a gorgeous looking movie. No. You know, Jewison did not have a lot of money to work with for this, so it's a little bit grainy to begin with. So the transfer is a little grainy looking, but it's it's you know I'm going to recommend the upgrade as well. And of course, you get uh, an audio commentary here with uh, with Cher and Jewison and uh, John Patrick Shanley, who um, you know won an Academy Award for this because it's a terrific, terrific film. And you know what? It's one of those movies where it's kind of been a it's been a bit forgotten, a little bit, and it shouldn't know? be because it's so you know much what? fun. If you watched it, you'd totally love it. You'd totally love it. dig it. Love it, love it. Why do you want to talk about the Wild Rovers? 
Because, Mark, The Wild Rovers is a long-lost film. It's part of the archive collection from Warner Brothers. That's why we got to talk about The Rovers. This is, of course, the stuff that you can only get on um, DVD to burn, DVD to order, whatever you want to call it, where they make the DVD for you once you order it. And it's a DVD-R, so don't be expecting uh, a regular, you know, it comes nicely packaged, but don't be expecting a commercial-grade DVD. Uh, you go to warnerarchive.com for the Rovers, and you will discover a wonderful, long-forgotten Western starring William Holden, Ryan O'Neill, and uh, Carl Malden. And, you know, this was directed by Blake Edwards. Yep. And, you know... This movie was kind of taken away from Blake Edwards. There was a lot of studio interference with yeah. this film with Blake Edwards. And the fact is that his battles with the studio on this movie spurred Blake Edwards to make uh, SOB, yep. which is all about his— Which is why this is a really, really interesting movie to watch. That's right. It's not a great film, but it's not as bad as everybody said it was at the time. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's one of those kind of fascinating failures in a way. Uh, he, I mean, Edwards disowned it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, and for good reason, but it's not a bad film. Uh, he wrote it and he directed it, you know. It's got a great score by Jerry Goldsmith, um, you know, who was still writing real scores at that time. Uh, also, a, a kind of a really cool, um, uh, it's, you know, it's just got, it's got a good vibe to it. It's, not an, it's an unusual Western, and uh, it, it was, here's the thing, too. This was, um, this is one of the cool little bits here. Look at this on the back here, the, uh, the rating. GP, that's what it was called. That's right. It was never. This has never been re-rated. This is from when they had the GP rating, which was what preceded PG. And we don't get PG movies anymore. We get PG thirteen. I wonder why they re-rated. I wonder why they didn't just re-rate that because it costs money. And why? Why even spend yeah, the money? Why, why bother? Why bother? Why bother? It's a little neat little artifact there. You know what? I guarantee. You know, we we, we should do a Google. I guarantee somebody is saying that there's a typo no. on the packaging. Not true. Not true. No one's going to say there's a typo. Not true. Uh, talking about Don Bluth, we got another Bluth film here that um, I'm I'm very mixed on. All Dogs Go to Heaven is one of the films that was considered one of the better Bluth films because they actually it did well enough to have a sequel. I, the only thing I really like about this, the artwork is great. I'll say that the animation and the artwork is terrific, and uh, I really really love the fact that um, they use the voices of uh, of, of a, a certain trio of people who know each other very, very well, mainly Lonnie Anderson, Burt Reynolds, and uh, Dom DeLuise. But, that being said, um, it, I, it, it should be better. It just should be a better film. Uh, some of the other voices here that you'll recognize, some classic voices from the, uh, the 70s, like Vic Tabak and Charles Nelson Reilly. Uh, we just don't have voices like that anymore. But at the same time, you know, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, they, 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 the script for this thing should be better. It's like it's designed just to um, be a sweet story about, you know, this little girl and dogs, and they didn't feel the obligation to go the extra mile and make it as good as it could be. They should have, darn it. Dagnabbit. Dagnabbit. Uh, wait, uh, Scream 4 is coming out, and that can only mean one thing. Oh. Actually, that can only mean three things. Yeah, Scream 1, 2, and 3 on Blu-ray? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, Scream was from 1996, and, uh, you know, at the time, Scream kind of... You know, put a charge in the thriller genre. You know? know, it was all a bunch of you know Jason and Freddy crap, and I this know. one was clever, and it was unique for the time. And the idea that the that the biggest you know star in the movie, Drew Barrymore, would mm-hmm. get killed off in the first seven minutes. It, I mean, that's like that was almost like Janet Lee and Psycho. Yeah, you did not expect that. I know. And uh, so, Scream is is terrific and looks fine on Blu-ray. It was it's a Wes Craven, so it's a low budget film anyway. It's not going to clean up all that great. But um, there's a bunch of uh, audio. Co- there's a bunch of features, including audio commentary, production featurettes, behind the scenes crap. Um, from then on, uh, the quality sort of dropped. Let's say, uh, Scream Two, also by um, Wes Craven. Scream Three, also by Wes Craven. Uh, and I just, I just felt like it was diminishing returns at this yeah, point. Yeah, it is. And you know, when it comes to Scream Four, I don't know what else is going to be. What else it could be. That would it's the that same would, thing. That, that would put it back into that place of originality and surprise. It, it doesn't and need to because you got a whole new generation now that only knows Scream from DVD. So there, this is going to be a whole new experience for them. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, Mark, we were earlier talking about Cannes, the Cannes, Cannes Film Festival. I miss you know, it. I, I miss I miss La Pizza. Oh man, I hate you. I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna do a Google right now on La I, Pizza. You know what I miss? I miss Le Moulquerie, the laughing mole, the laughing muscle. No, it's a great we, place. Uh, no. Up the suke, it's great. 
No, no, wait. Uh, oh, the La Pizza or the, uh, the Aubergine. The Aubergine. Oh the gosh, the it's, the pizza. it's the greatest. It's the greatest. Well, the one thing that makes me not necessarily want to go back to Cannes, believe it or not, is uh, a movie called Can Man. Now, it, it, this is from Cinema Libre. Cinema Libre normally releases politically oriented stuff, a certain kind of edgy indie things. The, this movie is such a an odd attempt to make a movie during the Cannes Film Festival with the Cannes Film Festival as a backdrop, and it I get what they're doing. Um, you know, the guy who directed his name's Richard Martini, not really a very good director, but he somehow gets a lot of people to show up in this movie, which kind of gives it some underground, dirty backyard cred. Johnny Depp shows up in this thing, Benicio Del Toro, Jim Jarmusch, Jim Sheridan, John Malkovich, even Harvey Weinstein gets his mug in this movie. And I don't know necessarily how he managed to get them to agree to stay in the movie, uh, but there they are. And Seymour Cassell, of course, is is in it because he's in every single movie, including the movie that Mark and I once worked on. Um, boy, that was that was a while back, wasn't it? Don't remind me. <laughs> oh, Seymour. Um, but anyway, uh, Seymour Cassell basically is uh, is much more the star. The others are all sort of cameos here. Seymour Cassell is um, is the producer figure in this that sets everything in, in motion. I, it's not a great movie industry satire. It wants to be. It's interesting that it uses the Cannes Film Festival as a backdrop. Watch it only if you've never been to Cannes, but don't expect this to be in any way representative. Oh, Wade. Yes. I just have uh, three words to say to you. Uh, scream one, two, and three. Teen Wolf. Yeah. 1985, Teen Woo! Wolf. You know, this, this, actually, this movie is, um, this, thanks to this movie, hmm. We have Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. Really? Well, because this movie shot on the same lot yeah. that Back to the Future was shooting on. This right. is like 1985. Right. Uh, with Eric Stoltz in the lead, Back to the Future. Uh-huh. By the time this was done shooting Teen Wolf, yeah. Stoltz was on the cusp of and would eventually be fired. Yes. And replaced with the guy who just wrapped Teen Wolf on the very same set, on the very same location, studios, uh, studio wow. back lot. Michael J. Fox. And, of course, I have told my story about how I snuck onto the clock tower scene at the time that they had Eric Stoltz in the cast when I snuck on courtesy of Brian Burke, the executive producer of the last Star Trek movie. <laughs> it was unbelievable. He was a producer back then sneaking on a freaking lot. So it was unbelievable. So Teen Wolf, anyway. uh, you know what? It, it holds up as a kid's film. It's not a great film. It was uh, There was a sequel, Teen Wolf 2. There's a TV show. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised this has not been redone. Yeah, I am. Actually, you know what? Hang Don't on give me any ideas. Wait, wait, hang on. Uh, the D, uh, the Blu-ray includes exclusive sneak peek at the MTV original new series, Teen Wolf. Look at me. Uh, oh, God well, help us all. The, um, last week we talked about King of Kings. Now Queen of Queens. And the as that made its Blu-ray debut, that can only mean one thing. This week, it's time for The Greatest Story Ever Told. Because, you see, Easter's just around the corner, which means all the Jesus movies have to be coming out. And uh, next week, we'll be talking, hopefully, about uh, The Ten Commandments on Blu-ray, which is a a big freaking deal. Um, And that'll dovetail us into this other little thing we're going to talk about in a moment. But uh, King of Kings, of course, is this giant, misbegotten Jesus tale uh, directed by George Stevens, who was so inundated. By the way, this is rated uh, NC-17. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, it's rated G. This is not the Mel Gibson film. Is, is it rated GP? No, it's just rated G. Okay. Greatest story ever told, uh, starring Max von Sydow as uh, as Jesus Christ. Max von Sydow, of course, the Swedish actor and uh, famously of a lot of Ingmar Bergman movies. Um, not bad in the part, really. Uh, the movie itself is just a big, lumbering, overly ambitious, undercooked um, star vehicle, and it's you know they're just they're just too many stars playing too many weird parts and too many cameos, and the problem was this thing was so wacky, out of budget, so completely crazy, out of control at the time, that the studio was going to take the film away from George Stevens, and the only way that George Stevens could uh, salvage the film was to stay on schedule, and the only way he could stay on schedule was to convince a lot of his director friends to direct pieces of the script. And so there are big chunks of this movie that were directed by a lot of other famous directors at the time, all uncredited. For instance, the scene with Pontius Pilate, directed by... Stanley Kubrick. David Lean. 
Wow. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting little bit of lore that you don't necessarily get any information of. Uh, about on this thing, but you do get uh, a couple of documentaries. Uh, again, not great documentaries, but they're fine. And um, they don't, you know, you, you should do a little more extra research. The transfer, it's decent. Again, we're still in the MGM and Fox land here, but this film is so widescreen. Uh, I, I I hesitate to say how widescreen is it, Wade? That's like two five five or something obnoxious like that. <laughs> it's like watching a Venetian blind. It is kind of yeah. It's sort of it's a little slit in your television. So the, the you know it needs Blu-ray, but it, it needs a better transfer as well. It's it's worth it, but boy, I I, I I hope a special edition is somewhere down the line. And then uh, lastly, uh, I'm going to just get, make a, a weird little culty recommendation here of the Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Embodiment of Evil. This is a Coffin Joe movie. Now, this is from Synapse, and Synapse releases a lot of cool culty stuff. If you don't know who Coffin Joe is, just go online and do a little bit of research. Coff- the Coffin Joe films are kind of a cool cult horror franchise from many, many years ago. And uh, this is the third film in the Coffin Joe trilogy, uh, which previously had the films At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul, which was done in 1964, and then the 1967 film uh, This Night, I'll uh, Possess Your Corpse. So you can tell these are family films. <laughs> the next night, I won't possess your corpse, but these this are family night, films. I'll your corpse. Right, these are family films. They're, 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 they're perfectly suitable for, for children, the kind of children who eat their parents alive. Uh, and you know what? I, I got to tell you, it's Coffin Joe stuff is is really really fun. Now these movies are, um, uh, how do I put this? Uh, these movies are um, they're um, they're Brazilian, and the guy who stars in them is also the guy who directs them, Jose Mojica Marins. And uh, so be prepared for a totally non-Hollywood experience if you want to check this out. But there's some really cool special features on here. Uh, a little making of featurette, uh, a, a, f- a kind of a film festival premiere tidbit and, and a trailer. The, uh, the featurette is fine, but uh, the movie itself I'm going to recommend because it is just such a weird, cool, culty thing from yesteryear. You know, and junk and stuff. And stuff and junk? And stuff and junk. You know, that kind of junk. Um, well, you have so, something to talk about, don't you? Yeah, let's let's get into this. We, we've been talking about a few epic things, you know, biblical epics and whatnot, with uh, all this Jesus stuff and Easter around the corner, and they always, you know, pass over at the same time, and we're going to be getting in a little bit into that as well. Mark, I, I received an interesting thing the other day. All the press releases, we, we get a lot of press releases, and this is coming out, and that's coming out, and I get this, and I look at this, and I go, wow, I never even got a press release on this. Look at that. Ben-Hur, Ultimate Collector's Edition. I, I had what? No... There's a Blu-ray of Ben Hur? Yeah, it looks like looks like Blu-ray Ben Hur Ultimate Collector's Edition. Wow! I, I like it, I hear just suddenly. You know what? This this box that says Ben Hur Ultimate Collector's Edition, starring Charlton Heston, 50th anniversary, William Wyler, the whole schmear. This is the press release. This box that weighs more than what most collector's editions weigh. What could this possibly be? This custom black box. We open this up. I'm thinking there's got to be a Blu-ray in here. Well, here's a letter. Here's a very a, a letter on lovely stationery, a little gold leaf stationery, specially made for this. That says Ben Hur at the top. It's not it's not even like studio stationery. It's Ben Hur stationery. No one can forget seeing Ben Hur in a theater for the first time. Amazing, hundred thousand costumes, eight thousand extras. Oh my gosh, this little letter, you know, signed by a couple of guys I don't even know. And then we have this full color glossy booklet. Wow, look at this. Look at this, 50th anniversary. There's Charlton Heston, all leathery and muscular and stuff. There's the 11 Academy Awards. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. Wait, it includes the 11 Academy Awards? It does. What? No. And then we, we, it, you, you get down here to the back, and we've got a special features highlights. Ultimate Collectors Day. Wow, look at that. They're, look at this. this is, it, it, it's got to be in here, right? Oh, my gosh. Is this the leather-bound Blu-ray? Mark, what is this? Right in here. Is this a le- no? It's a leather-bound notebook that says Ben Hur on it, and then a with a pen attached that also says Ben Hur on it. That's it. That's it. This is what they they spent a ridiculous amount of money to schmooze us for something that's not going to come out until the fall. There are, there's like hundreds the most, of pages to this this, uh, it's this like empty a, diary book, whatever they call it. It's insane. Book. I have never seen anybody splurge on a movie that isn't coming out for months like this. This is incredible. Well, you should you should take the pen. And in the first page of the book, write down the release date of Ben-Hur. That's what it's all about. But here's the thing. This is the point I wanted to raise, because this kind of goes back to my tirade about Sucker Punch from Stupid for Movies. 
they're making a fuss about Ben-Hur because this movie is timeless. Are there any movies that have been made in the last, let's say, five years that are so timeless that 50 years from now someone would want to do that kind of a special edition? The Titanic. Not, not in the last five years. That's 97. Uh, Avatar. No. No, because they've already done it. They've already uh, done the special edition. They came, it came out four months after the movie. And then they came out with an even more special one. I just don't know what timeless movies they really are. See? But this Generally is the, speaking. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying, no one aspires to make timeless movies. They want to make a movie that'll be in and out and done and make all of its money in, within you know, a few weeks, and then it'll, it'll go on to DVD and make its money in a few weeks, and then it's over. They de- they're devaluing their libraries. They're not making movies that have enduring appeal anymore. They don't care. It's, it's like we've gone to a McDonald's mentality. Move them in, move them out. No, yeah, but I like McDonald's. I especially like the McRib. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. All right, from the uh, sublime to the even more sublime, I'm going to go through real quickly here and just recommend. These are some documentaries that have uh, kind of accumulated, but if you love art, these are some really, really good art documentaries. And uh, there's something in here for everybody. I've looked at all these. They are, they are all really, really cool, really professional. Uh, the Nude in Art. Stop, you lascivious scumbag. Don't, you, don't you say anything nasty. Squiggles? Uh, the Nude in Art with Tim Marlowe. This is uh, four programs that uh, originally aired somewhere in Europe, I assume. Um, and it's, a, it's just a, it's a really, really lovely look at uh, four different approaches to the nude in art, the classical, the renaissance, the enlightenment, and the modern. Uh, that's lovely. Then there is uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Guggenheim Museum, which, you know, the museum itself is a great work of art all by itself. I mean, this is a, this is a feature-length documentary all about the, the amazing design of the Guggenheim. Fascinating. Really, really cool. Uh, Waiting for Hockney is a story of a guy named uh, Billy Pappas, who is um, who is this? He's an artist from Maryland, and uh, he's obsessing on this painting. I can't even. There's no way to even uh, get into what he's doing. It's it's so bizarre. It's microscopic. It's like weird and strange and twisted. And all he's all he wants is the sanction and the approval of David Hockney, the great artist. And it's, a, it's kind of a weird, twisted, but fascinating little, uh, little story. Um, then, let's see here. What, let me pull out uh, this next one here, because from Hockney, we can go to Gauguin. I like uh, Gauguin. I'm a big fan of Paul Gauguin. This is a Gauguin maker of myth. Uh, Gauguin, of course, was a, he looked a lot like... Um, uh, like uh, Harvey Weinstein. Yes, exactly. Barry Bonds. No, no, no. He. Uh, have you ever seen Lust for Life? Anthony Quinn plays uh, Gauguin in uh, Lust for Life. So anyway, Gauguin, maker of myth. You know, he was a friend of uh, Vincent Van Gogh's and uh, an amazing artist, one of the great artists of the uh, of the 19th century. Died in the 20th century, right at the very beginning of it. Uh, and this is uh, this is just a, a really lovely tribute and uh, a great overview of his craft and his genius. And we also have Heavy Water, a film for Chernobyl, which unfortunately is being released at a rather inopportune time, I have to say. Um, you know, it's uh, with Japan and all that. Too soon, Wade. Yeah, in that sense, it is too soon. Now, you might wonder, what does this have to do with art? Uh, this is actually uh, based on a book-length poem called Heavy Water uh, by Mario Petrucci. And uh, you have the poetry read by some rather exceptional actors uh, as kind of a backdrop to this film. So it, it approaches the uh, as a kind of a tribute to the people who survived and, and are still dealing with Chernobyl in a in a po- literally a poetic way. Uh, some of the some of the people who read the poetry include uh, Juliet Stevenson and uh, Samuel West. So they went and got some excellent people. Wasteland was nominated for an Academy Award and uh, did not win. Really never had a chance, but uh, it's an interesting film. It's kind of about trash as art, to be honest. And uh, like Sucker Punch, a little bit. Uh, the the main basically goes to the just enormous garbage dump in Brazil, and uh, it, it's interesting how people who live in refuse can somehow find love, love, uh, <laughs> beauty in it, beauty in it. It's uh, anyway. It's a uh, it's an intriguing film, very well photographed, interesting uh, in concept. Gets a little tiresome at a certain point. You kind of want them to get on with it already, but I can see why it was nominated. And then uh, lastly, there is Le Scandale Impressionniste. Uh, this is a fi- obviously a French film by uh, François Lévy Kuntz, 
and uh, the this is basically a, uh, a a look at the origins of and kind of the scandalous origins of the impressionist f- uh, movement of painting, which you know gave us such uh, greats as Renoir and uh, Cezanne, and you know without and Claude Monet and without um, it's Claude Monet. Oh yes, Monet. Thank you. <laughs> But and without Renoir, we'd ne- we would never have gotten uh, you know R- Renoir fils and films like uh, Le Grande Le Grande Illusion. Monet. Yes, Grand Illusion. Thank you. <laughs> That's where we get monetized, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he sold he sold his paintings for so much he monetized them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Krusty. Uh, anyway, uh, very good. a lot of documentaries have been made about the Impressionist movement, but this is uh, you know this is a Frenchman who made this, and they know better than anybody else, right? Of course they do. Mark, um, you're a Doctor Who fan. I am I know, not. I know I always saddle you with the... <laughs> I don't understand Doctor Who. I really don't. I don't get it. Uh, it's, it's, he's a vampire, and uh, he goes through time. I don't know what he does. <laughs> it's like 47 Doctor Whos. Uh, well, whatever. You know, it's, it's a thing. Uh, no, we got a couple of Doctor Whos here. One from the Tom Baker years, which I remember very well, because he was, he was kind of... They, they're just cheesy as all hell. Uh, Doctor Who, Seeds of Doom. Uh, lots of people in weird costumes here, and then the uh, from the William Hartnell years in the 1960s, he was one of the uh, one of the last Doctor Who's who was like an old dude. Isn't it funny how Doctor Who started off as a as a, an old respectable guy, and now he's like young and bohunky? I wonder that why what? that is, Wade. Do you really think that what kids are going to go see a, a 65 year old Doctor yeah, Who? Yeah, but you know it worked in the 60s. I mean, what, could, like for example, uh, what was the name of that uh, that that the, the Equalizer? Could that show work Edward today? Woodward. Edward Woodward. Would that show work today? Or would it have to no. have some 25-year-old dude with muscles? I mean, he was cool, Edward Woodward. Da-da-da-da-da. It was great. Good theme. You're out of your mind. Anyway. Uh, no, the uh, William Hartnell one here is Doctor Who, The Ark, which is actually not bad. It's cheesy as all hell, but, uh, y- you know, it's, um, it's, it, it's narratively a lot more interesting than the, um, the Tom Baker one here, The Seeds of Doom, which is, yeah, they're all cheesy. What can I say? Um... And still working on a few British television things. I swear, Mark. I promise I'll get over. I'll, I'll get through all this stuff really quickly. I bumped the mic. Good. We haven't done that in a while. Give me just a second here. Uh, the Alan Bennett Collection. The uh, this is really good, actually. Um, the Alan Bennett Collection, inclu- featuring an Englishman abroad. No emphasis on abroad. No, Alan Bennett is uh, is an amazing playwright, one of the great contemporary British playwrights, and uh, you know if, that's saying a lot because the playwrights in England from the last fifty years or so have been extraordinary. Uh, included here is the Insurance Man, which features Daniel Day Lewis as Franz Kafka, a uh, question of attribution, uh, Boulevard Houseman. By the way, Boulevard Houseman is in Paris. Just want to point that out. You I know. know that. Yes. One of the major streets in Paris. That's right. One of the beautiful streets. I love Boulevard Houseman. I really do. John, it's named after John Houseman. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's wonderful to walk up and down. <laughs> walk up and down John Houseman. He's a big man, but <laughs> I don't know if he was that big. Yeah, he was. You know. Uh, a Day Out and uh, Sunset Across the Day. Uh, our Winnie, a visit from uh, Miss Prothero, uh, a woman of no importance, Dinner at Noon, and uh, Portrait or Bust. Uh, look, Alan Bennett just did such great work, and it's such a pleasure to watch anything that he had anything to do with. And uh, you should check this out. There's a, an Englishman abroad was uh, is really the one that's kind of the considered the crowning achievement here. Uh, Alan Bates gives an unbelievably great performance in it, but uh, really the Insurance Man is is pretty great as well. So this is on a nice little slim four disc set from BBC, and uh, check it out. It's good. Have Gun Will Travel, Wade. Yeah. Season 5. This was a cool show back in the day. And when I say day, I mean 1962. Oh. Before we were born. Yeah, barely. Barely for you, Mr. I Forgot My Glasses. I know. Eh. Um, Paladin, Richard Boone, you know you love it. It's good stuff. Come on. Yeah. Now, this I, I loved all these uh, Wild West shows back in the day. They were really cool. You know, and yeah, Richard uh, Boone. Richard Boone was the man because he he had that that grizzly kind of quasi uh, quasi quasi. Um, oh, you know, it, it was sort of a little bit Humphrey Bogart and a little bit Charles Bronson. He he did look like Charles Bronson. He yeah. really did. He, he was actually not a handsome man, man. No, but uh, this but who is, needs it? But this is this is sort of uh, takes place in San Francisco, so it's kind of like it's not 
totally dusty frontier town. It's sort of like uh, it's starting to evolve into a real yeah. city back in the like late 1800s. Yep. And so there's a lot of interesting stories to tell. And uh, Paladin's the man. Yeah. This is season five, volume two of How Gun Will Travel. Tell your parents. Speaking of westerns, one that I had never heard of, and I got to tell you, this is hysterical. Um, did you ever hear about Hawkeye? Yeah, Hawkeye Pierce. No, no, no Hawkeye is a TV series. No. There's a western series called Hawkeye, The First Frontier. This is the complete series. I never even knew this thing existed. Look at this. This stars Wonder Woman and Matt Houston. How cool is that? Um, not very. <laughs> Lee Horsley and Linda Carter. Did, wait, didn't we just talk about Lee Horsley last week? We were talking about it last week. We were. We're just, Matt Houston is a ripoff of Magnum. And how Lee Horsley like, writes novels now? Does he really? Yeah. That's he great. has a wiki page, and we looked okay. at the wiki page. Well, he, he shaved his mustache to play Hawkeye. Look at that. Look at that cleft chin. That, that, that is Douglasian. Uh, that yeah. is Kirk Douglasian not and really. his cleftiness. Not really. Anyway, this is not a very good show, but uh, I like these actors, so I was willing to cut it a little bit of slack. This is from uh, the people at Mill Creek. And then a couple other little Mill Creek uh, doodads here to uh, make mention of. Marcus Welby, MD, the best of season one. This is part of their TV flashbacks uh, thing, which kind of just distills the very best episodes so that you, for just a few bucks, can only get the stuff that you really need and you don't have to sit around with a whole 30-episode season. There's 10 episodes here. Marcus Welby, does it, does it age well? Not really. It's just another show today. It's kind of, kind of cheesy, but it's, it's got a young James Brolin in it. I guess that's good for something. And then uh, also from the TV flashbacks, best of season one, 10 more episodes of The Bill Cosby Show. I hate seeing how young he was here because in this show, he's younger than I am now, and that makes me angry. A lot of things make you angry. Right? I know. Sucker Punch makes you angry. Stupidmovies.com. Yeah, true. Check it out. Henry Fonda shows up, by the way, in one of these. Oh, Isn't that hysterical? No. I know, right? Henry Fonda. Who knew? Oh, Wade Capone. Oh, now, the, ben, the Ben Gazzara. Yeah, this is the Ben yeah. Gazzara Capone. This is from like 1975 or something like that. And it was um, directed by uh, Steve Carver, who is uh, famous for being Mr. and Mrs. Carver's kid. But the thing is, this, <laughs> this was produced by, you realize who produced this? Roger Corman. Oh, Roger really? Corman produced this movie. Really? This is one of his. This is one of Corman's uh, rare one of his, uh, oh, I forays in, into respectability. Oh, one of his TV efforts. No, get this. This is Stallone. Yeah. Harry Gard, uh, Gardino, who was a character yeah. actor back in the seventies, and Ben Gazzara, but a young-looking nice. Stallone. Come on, it's all about. Uh, it's all about um, Al Capone, the king. And that's uh, good stuff. It really is. Kind I, of cute. I think I think Gazzara makes a better Capone than uh, De Niro did in The Untouchables. I got to admit. I, I think I, Gazzara looks more like Capone. He does. Than De Niro no, did. Nobody really wants to look like Capone, but <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Catherine Zeta-Jones made her exploded onto the scene in The Darling Buds of May uh, on British television, and that has been out already a number of times. And uh, none of them terribly good. The transfers are not good. BFS has released all of them. This is pretty much the same transfer. And I, and I don't blame BFS. It's just it, it, it was not a well-shot show to begin with. But it's a very well-written and a very well-acted show. Uh, and it's considered like a legendary moment in British television. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, beautiful then, beautiful now, extraordinary talent. But I think she's actually a better actress now, believe it or not. But this is what, this is what shot her, skyrocketed her to, uh, to fame. And uh, it takes place in the 1950s, and it is, uh, it is kind of, uh, you know, it's very soap opera-y. But uh, it, it's worth watching. And if you haven't seen it, definitely at least rent it. Uh, you can get it now in a uh, kind of a, it's a single case. It's much more conveniently packaged. It's not all these individual discs floating around. So uh, they've, they've done a nice repackage on it, but it's basically the same transfer as before. And uh, let's see... Hold on, we got a bunch of uh, compilation deals here. Oh, we have Ernest Goes to Camp and Ernest Goes to Jail. You know, uh, Wade, there was a time I know. when the late Jim Varney was considered, uh, and his creation, Ernest, uh, was considered I, I, just I, the funniest thing in the world. I interviewed him, you know. Did you? Nice guy. Crazy chain smoker, though. Eh, there well, was no question lung cancer was going to take that guy, and it and, did. And it did. Yeah. And uh, so here we have Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to Jail. 
two earnest films. You know what? At this point, they're really good for kids. I mean, you yeah. know what? I can't believe we lavished this guy with like five movies. I know. Now it's just for kids, really. Yeah. So is there a reason to get this on Blu-ray? Totally. Yeah. How can you not enjoy Ernest on Blu-ray, Wade? Blu-ray, uh, Wade. Uh, here's, a, here's another double feature on Blu-ray. Uh, Spaghetti Western double feature, The Last Gun and $4 of Revenge. Neither of them are all that good. Uh, worth getting on Blu-ray? Not really. O- only if I mean, we save your money and get like real spaghetti westerns. These are not uh, nothing spectacular. These are kind of the also rans from the 1960s. The uh, the ones that were being made, other than the Clint Eastwood stuff and the uh, uh, the Leone stuff, and and other than Django and the Corbucci stuff. No, no, that this is the stuff that's really not that good. Uh, and then another double feature here, Galaxina with uh, the Crater Lake Monster. Um, I got mixed feelings here. I, I, Crater Lake Monster is just a, a dreadful movie. It's horrible. Galaxina is also a horrible movie, but it has Dorothy Stratton in it. So uh, it's, it's worth it for that. If you can get Galaxina by itself, get it. Crater Lake Monster. It, I don't know why that movie has such a cult following. It's so bizarre. Uh, neither of them look very good on Blu-ray, but why not? You know, Dorothy Stratton, better, better the resolution. She looks great on Blu-ray, Green Ray, Red Ray. Red Room, Red Room. You, you know what we, that's from, Barry Lyndon? You wish your name was Ray so that you could say she looks good on Ray. See, then you could have... Well, our, our good friend Ray Green, maybe he would feel yeah, that I'm way. Sure. Ray would feel that way. And then we have a thing here. Says Ray. Yeah, exactly. And then another Mill Creek uh, compilation. Mill Creek will get a bunch of public domain stuff, and they will just throw it all onto a disc, even if it has nothing to do with anything else. And uh, here they're calling this the Andy Sidaris Collection, 12-film set, uh, Girls, Guns, and G-Strings. Um, I, I, you know what? This is just the, the weirdest collection of movies I have ever seen in my life. Uh, and I, I just don't know why they even bothered with this, because does the name Andy Sidaris mean anything to anybody? Hell yeah. What does it mean to you? Hell yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is it's got a movie here called Guns from 1990 that has Eric Estrada in it. Hell yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Malibu Express with... Uh, Darby Hinton? Okay, well, whatever. Okay, that's beautiful. Uh, let's see, we're uh, running short on time, so let me, hold on, let's blow through. Uh, okay, okay, we got some cool stuff here, Mark. Finally, Wade. Right? The. Yeah. Kino, uh, these, the. These, came, these, these came out uh, a little bit ago, but they, we got we to do a plug for these. Um, because the classic educational short series that Kino has been uh, steadily releasing uh, over the years has two more volumes. We got uh, volume four and volume three here. Volume three is safe dot 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 not sorry. And uh, all of these things, if you, if you, I don't think you have to endure these anymore. If you grew up in the 1970s, 1960s, even I think into the 1980s, you saw all of these horrible, horrible films in elementary school that had not been updated in, like, since your parents' era. And they are hilarious. And a lot of these are, it's just, it's cautionary warning stuff. And it, it, it's just not even relevant anymore. Stop, stop, drop, and roll. Oh, my gosh, it's hysterical. Uh, duck and cover, all that kind of stuff. No, here you get uh, ten long minutes. Say no to strangers. Don't touch. Dangerous stranger. Safety with animals. An outbreak of salmonella infection. Safety. Hidden hi- harm hides at home. Trigger happy Harry. These are great. They're great. But They're you know terrific. what? It's here's the thing. It's great. It's great if you're, you're if you're throwing a birthday party and you want something. Yeah, no, che- absolutely. You, you want something cheesy to throw into the totally. DVD uh, totally. to make people laugh. And the one I, I actually like these a whole lot better. This is uh, volume four, the celluloid salesman. Oh my gosh, you are going to laugh yourself delirious. Get this one. This one. This is one of the best of the series. Um, uh, goodbye to garbage will put you into an uncontrollable frenzy. Um, comprehending blending. You just won't know what to do. You won't know what to do. You will absolutely just die laughing. Uh, give the lady what she wants. Your daily bread. Ideas in action. Goodbye weeds. This stuff is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Don't miss it. It is hysterical. Uh, and uh, let's see. Is there anything else I can squeeze in before we get out of here? Hold on. Hold on. Oh, yes. Edgar G. Robinson. Here we go. Brent. No. Yes. Edgar G. Robinson. 
in Thunder in the City. Oh, this yeah. is from the uh, this is from VCI's Best of series. This is one of those obscure Edward G. Robinson movies that just kind of fell between the cracks. He's a much younger man at the time, but uh, still a lot of fun to watch him. Is it a good movie? Not particularly, but uh, it is it is kitschy and it is nostalgic and it is fun. And especially with the Ten Commandments coming out, yeah, Moses, yeah. You've just got to go get your Edward G. Robinson on and uh, work up work up a better impression than mine. That's your homework for the week. Yeah, Shane, Shane. 